Are you an Amazon shopper like Patra and I? Do you love Off Air with Emily and Patra? When you're ready to search the depths of Amazon, visit us at offairwithep.com first. Click on the Amazon ad and continue shopping like normal. This helps keep Off Air with Emily and Patra going strong. We receive a small percentage of any purchases you make through our affiliate link, but it's literally zero extra costs to you. Psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. Just open a can of sparkling water. Fuck yeah, you did. Here we go. Seems like I had something to say. I don't. Do you watch Barry? Do you watch HBO stuff? No, I do not. Harry's so good. You'd yeah. like it. Maybe you wouldn't. I probably would. I think I like would. a lot of things. You do. I like that you are into many different things. Oh, my titty. God, I'm having a day. I'm just not. You know what it is? It's that I've gained like 15 pounds since Christmas. Mm. And so like I don't feel like I fit here anymore. I don't fit in my pants. I don't <laughs> fit into my shirts. My oh, boobs no. are hitting the desk. Oh, I know. I'm busting out everywhere. It's fine. It's all right. I'll I'll eat healthy another time. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. When you're getting ready to die, <laughs> so morbid. <laughs> when you're getting ready to die, are you gonna be happier that you ate the salad or happier that you ate the cake? Mm. I'll have salad and cake. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, will you put mine so I don't have to hear? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I don't even mind BB Rexa. I just don't want to have to hear her. Yeah. <laughs> you can avoid it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Tuesday is Joe's birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really excited. I don't know what to get him. Mm. For Christmas, I got him something really good. And I'm not saying I forgot his birthday. I just have been busy, and it's yeah. it's been on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So I forgot his birth. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so basically, <laughs> I forgot his birthday. <laughs> I didn't plan six weeks ahead like I did at Christmas. Yeah. So I don't know what to get him. I want to. What get did him. you get him for Christmas? I got him this embroidered. Like I had a friend embroider a quote from Seinfeld. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I remember that. Now. Yeah. So it was a really good one. And now I'm like, how about if I just buy you a candle, and take you to dinner, sweet thing. There you go. <laughs> That's what I'd want. Case of beer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I was looking at pictures from last year, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, I was in such good shape last year at this time. Yeah. But I was, like, miserable as well. Yeah. So I'd rather you be happy and fat. Not that you're fat, but I'd yeah, rather I'm you plump. be happy and fat than, <laughs> than miserable and Me too. skinny. Right? Yeah. Gives a fuck. I've never been skinny, but I'm definitely a little plumper. I'm still still shoving that booty into the same jeans, though. I Oof. love it. I love it. Oof. <laughs> I little, love it so much. Little holes on, uh, everywhere. I get that. My, I was, okay. The leggings that I was going to wear mm-hmm. for Tame the Train yeah. are starting to rip in like no. the, in the seams where my calf is yeah. and like my thigh, which the thigh area is just a common, I mean, yeah, it like happens mine. on every pair of pants eventually. Oof. So it's been there. I need hey, to look. get... Oh Are you coming in? Yeah. Yes, you may. Oh my Mother, gosh. may I? Mother, may I? So I need to get a new pair of. I want to be on the show pants. with you. 
Oh my gosh, Kathy. You can be Welcome. on the show. Hello. Welcome. Do that to you. Welcome to Off Air with Emily and Patra, our true crime podcast. What's that? True crime. (laughs) I love true crime. (laughs) I'm like into mysteries and crime. (laughs) She could be like our narrator. Yeah. Our narrator. Welcome. Welcome. Ooh, I like that. She's got such a good voice. She does. It's because I smoke like a fucking fiend. (laughs) Fine. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, uh, I, I, my voice, like when I would sing, mm-hmm. it was so operatic. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to sound like a girl in a bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Cheryl yeah. Crow or something. So I just smoked. It kind of helped, mm-hmm. but I lost my range. Yeah. Oh. Well, I <sighs> like I like how you sound. Thank yeah, I you. I like you too very much. <laughs> oh my god! Now she's gonna go harass poor Harrison. <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. So I have to go get a new pair of exercise pants that I can get gross. Last year, I ripped a hole in the butt of like the one pair of shorts I wore out in public. Yeah. And I went to wear them. I didn't realize that. I went to wear them at the gym. That was the day. Oh, yeah. And I had a thong on. Couldn't. If I had just regular underwear, I just don't like a flesh exposed. Right. Butt area. But I don't care if you see my undies. Yeah. My mom panties. Your mom panties. They're, I just wear like workout panties, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. New Balance I undies. Yeah. I have like four different categories of underwear in my underwear drawer. Okay. So, I have like sexy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have like attractive panties. Attractive panties. I have like, like, not, they're not like unattractive, mm-hmm. but they're nothing fancy. They're right. just like simple. Wearing them every day, panties. kind yeah. of. Probably then, not. Probably not going to get some, but if you did, wouldn't hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no big deal. And then, like gross mm. panties mm-hmm. <laughs> for a period of time. Yep. And then, um, I remembered I put more coffee in my coffee. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And then, well, okay. So there's like there's like super sexy panties. Yeah. That like I never wear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's like attractive panties that, like, if I'm dressing up, I'll wear those. Mm-hmm. So if you ever see me dressed up, you know Ow! that I'm wearing attractive underwear. <laughs> and then, like, my simple, my simple, but, like, they're, like, classy panties is what, okay. I, prefer, what classy I would panties. refer to them as. And then my period panties. I have, um... <laughs> I'm sure there's, like, 90% men that listen to this and they're like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I have my time of the month panties, my Aunt Flo panties, mm-hmm. and I have my, like, workout panties, mm-hmm. and then I have my, I guess, like, I just, my quote-unquote sexy panties aren't really that sexy, yeah. so it's just, like, thongs, and so I just wear those, like, every day, mm-hmm. unless I'm on my period, or working out really hard, because that's not happening. Mm-mm. I have some workout thongs, and they're okay. Yeah. Unless you have a hole in your short. Unless you have a hole in your shorts. So, I have to get a new pair of... Actually, no, I don't. Hey. Because I can wear those pattern ones. What? You're going to be excited. Zelma Camp won today. I heard. Yeah. I love her. Me too. Are you emailing her? Yeah. Okay. I'll put the new thing up. I've forgotten everything. Because last week I put, like, congratulations, Pamela. Right. With her... Forgetting everything. It's fine. It's okay. I have something else. What? King of the Grill. Yeah, that's on my list of things. I do supposed, have that on my list of things to do. It was supposed to start Tuesday. It was? Yeah. Oh. Our, our period for it was Tuesday. Okay, well. We talked about it a little bit today, but I don't care. Not that I don't care, 
but I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I'll get. I'll put it up today. I'm clearly more worried about Zelma winning winning sunglasses and my boyfriend's birthday. Priorities, dude. Right. Priorities. I'm like, ooh, would you rather win? designer sunglasses or this bullshit grill it's not a bullshit grill it's a nice grill yeah <laughs> but, um i do need to know what kind of grill it is I a think. weber grill it's a weber grill mm-hmm. with accessories i think charcoal okay yes charcoal with accessories plus a blondie salon and spa gift bag mm-hmm. and men's line yeah. and um a round of golf at Timbercrest. Thank you. You're welcome. So my son has this, um, it's the end of the school year party. Mm-hmm. And I was reading him like, because it's supposed to be tonight at four. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you want to do this? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, cool. And I read him what was going on. It's at one of the kids' houses that mm-hmm. he's not super friends with. Not that he dislikes the kid or anything, but they're not. And Ivan's more of a... Fortnite and YouTube kid, mm-hmm. and these kids are like the sporty kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's like, okay. And I was like, it looks like they're going to have swimming, a big slip and slide, basketball, and hiking in the woods. And he's like, I'm not going to that. <laughs> and I was like, it's at this kid's house. And he's like, mm, no. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> well. Glad there you he, go. Glad he told me before I went and bought chips or something. Yeah, something to take. <laughs> Good Lord. God. <laughs> That's funny. Oh. Zelma says, thank you so much. I love listening to Cumix. She already responded? Yeah. Jeez, girl. Oh, Zelma. I want to look you up on Facebook. What do you look like? Let's be friends. Let's be friends. <sighs> this is how creepy I am, everybody. It's fine. <laughs> what you Just like? force you to be my friend. I feel like it's easy to do. Um, I don't see anybody who looks like. No, she's not on Facebook. Hmm. Huh. That's okay. We're still friends. <laughs> um. Okay. So, welcome to Off Air with Emily. Hey. Gotcha. Oh my gosh, that was long. We I'm sorry. We had a rough couple weeks with this podcast. We did. <laughs> so. I know some of you were keeping up with social media on Facebook and Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, well, I guess it was three weeks ago, our podcast host website was down and I couldn't upload. So the right. week after, you got two episodes, you got the week befores and the current weeks. And then last week it was, or yeah, technically yeah. last week it was Memorial Day and Patra was on vacation the week prior to Memorial Day. Sorry, not sorry. So... <laughs> She was like, we kind of set up a half-ass plan. Yeah, that I was going to um, come in on one of my days off and record. Yeah, that she was just going to pop by and <clears throat> record real quick and then leave. And then it got to, like, the end of the week. And I was like, yo. You coming in? I was or? like, do you want to or not? Nah? And I was like, it didn't really matter. And she's like, nah. Nah. <laughs> she's like, I'm not even ready. I was like, that's fine, whatever. So we made the executive decision. This week, so we're recording on Friday, the Friday before this comes out. Mm-hmm. And so we obviously had Memorial Day off. And then we couldn't really fit it into our schedule to record until today. So it was like, I, mean, I, well, I can't put out an episode this week. So you didn't get—it's just been a mess. So it's maybe, been a mess. So maybe 
maybe we'll be on track now. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> um, so thanks for being patient with us and listening. And yeah, we appreciate it. You're the best. I went, oh, I went to Chicago with my son. You did. That's what I was doing on I'm vacation. I'm so excited that you went to Chicago. <laughs> it was the best time. So my son graduated sixth grade. <sighs> oh, he was at the same school for eight years because he went to pre-K and kindergarten there. Mm-hmm. And I was with those same moms. Like, I stopped by one of the mom's houses yesterday after graduation because we both had gifts for each other. Oh, my God. I know. I was like, I'm going to miss you. Even <laughs> though the kids are both going to the same middle school, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. They're not, yeah, they're it's not like, friends anymore. You know, like, it was mm. a little girl and, you know— Ivan. They're at that age where it's... Yeah. Like yeah. I said, Ivan's a Fortniter and she's like a cheerleader and... Gotcha. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's all right. It's okay. I can still have mom friends. Absolutely. You can still have mom friends even <laughs> if your kids aren't friends. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? I don't know. Chicago was amazing though. That's good. It was so much fun. I know what I was going to say. Can we talk about our pre-K story time <gasps> real quick? Oh my God, please. So... <clears throat> we do this thing with work where we go to read to classes. Right. The teachers submit their class, and they we take them books and go read to them and mm-hmm. all this stuff. They get and little prizes. The That's last awesome. one of the year was a pre-K class, and it was the best time. A, God. they were well, they were better behaved on the last day of school or the day before the last day yeah. of school than the sixth graders who we saw last month right? who had two months left. My gosh. I mean, I know sixth graders are more becoming themselves. However, <laughs> I don't know. If pre-K, I mean, they were rowdy. They were ones. nuts. But the pre-K class was so much fun. And there's this little boy mm-hmm. who was my absolute favorite because he was telling you, you know, pre-K doesn't know what's going on. In their they life. have no they idea. They just want to talk to you if you give them the opportunity about anything. And this little boy, we asked if they had any questions about mm-hmm. kind of what we do. And this little boy starts going off on this tangent. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And he says, he's talking about volcanoes. Right. But he calls it a botano. Botano. And we were like, What? <laughs> And he said it with, like, his most serious, like, it's a potato. Right, that potato. Patrick and I just lost it. Like, we just got oh so distracted gosh. from that point, and it was the best. I have great news for you. Yes. Um. So, I noticed that on our picture, a mom that I used to have their student in after-school care was mm-hmm. tagged, and I was like, <gasps> no. So, you know, that little kid, he has, like, a crazy face in our picture. Yeah. That he the is the part. brother. No, he's not. Of one of my old students. His The student's name is Waylon. Oh and gosh. I know that his little brother's name is something kind of country, too. Oh. It's not Willie, but it's <laughs> it's something like. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So then we took this group picture. And that kid who was talking about potatoes <laughs> was smiling <laughs> the cheesiest, goofy uh, smile. It oh. was just. It made our lives so much better. It was, it was a great so day. Great. It was a great, like, end to that promotion for the year. Yeah. Oh, it was perfect. I loved it. Oh, it was man. So, much fun. so, if you have any pre K <laughs> kids <laughs> who say things funny, please <laughs> let us know. Please let us know and record it and send it to us because yeah. I need that in my life. Oh, my man. little brother growing up had, like, a word like that mm-hmm. for everything. Like, he called. For example, he called sem- uh, semi trucks burnt burps. Oh, because they made burp burp. and ambulances roo roos. Oh 
Oh my gosh. And he couldn't pronounce. So Thomas the Train was like big in his childhood. So he was a huge Thomas fanatic. So oh. there's a train called Gordon and he called him Larlar because he couldn't pro- he couldn't pronounce Gordon. Oh my God. And it was just, it was like that. It was just like random craziness. Right. For every little thing called Pizza Peebops. Peebops? He called Peeps Tweepies. Like oh. it was just, it was just one thing after another. It was the greatest. And that's, I think that's why I enjoyed that little kid calling a volcano a botano so much. Is because you it did just, love it. it. So, it's so great. Oh it gosh. I love it. So. Oh man. We've had an interesting past couple of weeks. We it's have. just been a mess. I feel absolutely insane. Like I just. Yeah. I just don't know what's happening anymore. Every day when I've gotten off of the morning show. I go sit at my desk and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? And it feels like every day this week, there's so much that I need to do. I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what happens when you take a week off. But holy cow. Yeah. But still. But still. <laughs> like I wrote my today's story Monday mm-hmm. when I came in to track Memorial Day show and was just like, oh, <sighs> I got so much to do this week. Yeah. yeah it's, so. I, don't, I don't know what's happening. I don't either. Fun. I don't know. We're career women. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Um, I don't really know who goes first. I don't either. So. You got a big one? It's kind of big, yeah. I can see that. Oh, that sounded so creepy. I can see that. You got a big one? I can see that. Oh, mine's only six. (sighs) Is yours yours like well known? Yes. Uh. Girl. Mine's like kind of, kind of, I I think it is, yes. But Mine's like, well known in pop culture today. Okay, I'm going to go first because okay. I want to hear yours last. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yours needs to go last. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So I'm going to do The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Today. Ooh. Ooh. So it's like well known, but I like didn't know anything about it, to be okay. honest. Um, Maura Murray was born May 4th, 1982 in Hanson, Massachusetts, the fourth child of five to Frederick. Fred and Lori Murray. She had an older brother, Fred, two older sisters, Kathleen and Julie, and a younger brother, Kurt. Maura was raised Irish Catholic, and when she was six, her parents divorced where she lived primarily with her mom. Maura graduated from Whitman Hanson Regional High School where she was a star athlete on the school's track team. She was accepted into the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York, where she studied chemical engineering for three semesters. She had stolen makeup less than $5 worth from the commissary at Fort Knox during her time at West Point while on a training expedition, resulting in an honor code violation. She was allowed to leave West Point without getting officially expelled, and she then transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing after her freshman year. I think that's kind of cool that she went to Fort Knox. Yeah, that's what I was, I was like, man, she sounds kind of neat. Why would you steal five? Like, why would, I don't know. I mean, you know. I get You know it. how, yeah. I mean, Danielle spent $400 at Sephora. Sometimes you just need that lip gloss. Sometimes you just need it. She didn't spend 400 but close. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. On the evening of February 5th, 2004, Maura spoke on the phone with her older sister, Kathleen, while she was on duty at her campus security job. They discussed Kathleen's relationship problems with her fiancé, and around 10.30 p.m., while still on her shift, it was reported that Maura broke down in tears. When her supervisor arrived at her desk, Maura was, quote, just completely zoned out, no reaction at all, and was unresponsive, end quote. The supervisor escorted Mora back to her dorm room around 1.20 a.m., and when she asked, when asked what was wrong, Mora said two words, my sister. 
The contents of this call remained unknown until 2017 when Kathleen publicly explained the conversation. Kathleen, a recovering alcoholic, had been discharged from a rehabilitation clinic that evening, and on the way home, her fiancé took her to a liquor store, which caused an emotional breakdown. Mm. What an asshole. I know. On Saturday, February 7th, Mora's father, Fred, arrived in Amherst. He told investigators he and Mora went car shopping that afternoon and later went to dinner with a, fr- with a friend of his daughter. Mora dropped her father off at his motel room and, borrowing his Toyota Corolla, returned to campus to attend a dorm party. She arrived at 10.30 p.m. and at 2.30 a.m. on Sunday, February 8th, she left the party. At 3.30, on the way to her father's motel, she hit a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, causing nearly $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. Oof. The responding officer wrote an accident report, but there's no documentation of sobriety field tests being conducted. Mora was driven to her father's motel and stayed in his room the rest of the morning. At 4.49 a.m., there was a cell phone call placed to her boyfriend from Fred's phone. The participants and content of the phone call are unknown. I'm assuming it was just her and her boyfriend, but right? we don't know. We It's unknown. Well, it's unknown. Don't know. (laughs) Later Sunday morning, Fred learned the damage to his vehicle would be covered by his auto insurance, so he rented a car, dropped Mora back off at school, and left for Connecticut. At 11.30 that night, he called his daughter to remind her to to obtain accident forms from the Registry of Motor Vehicles, and they agreed to talk again that uh, Monday night to discuss the forms and fill out the insurance claim via phone. I think what drove me crazy when I moved to Indiana was the— BMV mm-hmm. is called the DMV. Yeah. And now it's called the RMV on the East Coast. What's R stand for? Registry. Registry of Motor Vehicles. Stupid. Stupid. Just call it one thing. Irritating me. It's it okay. should be BMV. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Bureau of Motor Vehicles. That's, yeah. I don't know. I'm anyway. Just, I'm just bitching. <laughs> Damn the DMV. <laughs> After midnight on Monday, February 9th, Mora used her personal computer to map quest directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. The first reported contact Mora had with anyone on February 9th was at 1 p.m. when she emailed her boyfriend, quote, I got your messages, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promised to call today, though. She also made a phone call inquiring about renting a condo at the same Bartlett, New Hampshire condo association, which her family had vacationed in the past. Uh, Telephone records indicate the call lasted three minutes and the owner didn't rent the condo to her. Mm. At 1.13 p.m., Mora followed her fellow nursing student for reasons unknown. Called. She didn't follow. I was like, what? Mora called a fellow nursing student for reasons unknown. Maybe it's just a friend. Yeah. Or like, she was like, hey, what'd you get on that test? Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway. At 1.24 p.m., Mora emailed a work supervisor of the nursing school faculty that she would be out of town for a week due to a death in her family, though no one had actually died. She also said she would contact them when she returned. At 2.05 p.m., she called a number which provides recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. The last call, the call lasted approximately five minutes, and at 2.18 p.m., she phoned her boyfriend and left a voicemail promising him that they would talk later. The call ended after a minute. <clears throat> In her car, Mora packed clothing, toiletries, college textbooks, and birth control pills. When her room was Fuck yeah. Sorry. <laughs> when her room was searched later, campus police discovered most of her belongings were packed in boxes and the art was removed from the walls. It's not clear whether she packed that day, but police at the time asserted that she had packed between Sunday night and Monday morning. Mm. On top of the boxes was the printed email to Mora's boyfriend indicating trouble in their relationship. 
Around 3.30, she drove, to cam- she drove off the campus in her black 1996 Saturn sedan. Classes at the university were canceled that day due to a snowstorm. snowstorm. At 3.40 p.m., Mora withdrew $280 from an ATM. Closed-circuit footage showed that she was alone at a nearby liquor store. She purchased about $40 worth of alcohol, including Bailey's Irish Cream, Kahlua, vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. That sounds shitty. <laughs> Security footage again shows that she was alone when she made the purchase. At some point in the day, she also picked up accident report forms from the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. Morrill then left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m., presumably via Interstate 91 North. She called to check her voicemail at 4.37, the last recorded use of her cell phone. To date, there's no indication that she informed anyone of her destination or any evidence that she had chosen one, that she had chosen a destination. <clears throat> Sometime after 7 p.m., a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident heard a loud thump outside of her house. Through her window, she could see a car up against the snowbank along Route 112, also known as Wild Amanusuk Road. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. <laughs> the, car <Wild>. po- <laughs> the car pointed west on the eastbound side of the road, and she phoned the Grafton County Sheriff's Department at 727 to report the accident. According to the 911 log, the woman claimed to have seen a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. However, she later stated that she hadn't seen a man or a person smoking a cigarette, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, potentially from a cell phone. About the same time, another neighbor saw the car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She witnessed a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. That neighbor, a school bus driver returning home, noticed the young woman was not bleeding or visibly injured, but cold and shivering. He offered to telephone for help. She asked him not to call the police. One police report says pleaded him to not call Mm. the police and assured him that she already called AAA, um, but AAA had no record of any call. Knowing that there was no cell reception in the area, the bus driver continued home and called the police. His call was received by the sheriff's department at 7.43 p.m. He was unable to see Morris' car while he made the call, but did notice several cars pass on the road before the police arrived. Another local resident driving home from work claims that she passed by the scene around passed by the scene around 7:37 p.m. and saw a police SUV parked face to face with Mora's car. She pulled over briefly and did not see anyone inside or outside the cars and decided to continue home. The witness's claim contradicts the official police log, which has Haver Haverhill police arriving nine minutes later. According to the police log at 746, a Haverhill police officer arrived at the scene. No one was inside or around the car. The car had impacted a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight, and had pushed the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side, and both airbags airbags had deployed, and the car was locked. Inside and outside the car, he discovered red stains that looked to be red wine. Mm. Inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle and a damaged box of Franzia wine on the rear seat. In addition, he found a AAA card issued to Mora, blank accident report forms, gloves, compact discs, makeup, diamond jewelry, two sets of map quest directions to Vermont, Mora's favorite stuffed animal, and not without peril, a book about mountain climbing in the White Mountains. Missing were Mora's debit card, credit cards, and cell phone, none of which has been located or used since her disappearance. The police later reported some of the bottles were purchased Bottles of purchased alcohol were also missing. Weird. Mm-hmm. I don't like this one. This whole thing's weird. I know. So I, yeah, I'm freaking. I I don't know. Yeah. Journalist. Journalist. Journalist Joe McGee, writing for Quincy, Massachusetts, Patriot Ledger, summarized the incident. Quote: 
At a hairpin turn, she went off the road. Her car hit a tree. At that point, a person came along who was driving a bus. It was a neighbor. He asked her if she needed help. She refused. About 10 minutes later, police show up at the scene, and Maura Murray was gone. I did a find and replace mm-hmm. Murray with Maura, because in the article, it just called her Murray. Yeah. And this one says Maura Maura. I love when that happens. I, I tried to catch everything. Like, Maura catch Maura. All, but it didn't quite work. I love that. It especially gets got fun when they start referring to her father. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, so I had to make sure that I was called, like, actually correcting, right. using the correct name. <laughs> Between 8 and 8.30, a contractor returning home from Franconia saw a young person moving quickly on foot eastbound on Route 112, about four to five miles east of where Mora's vehicle was discovered. He noted that the young person was wearing jeans, a dark coat, and a light-colored hood. He didn't report it to police immediately due to his own confusion on dates, only discovering three months later when reviewing his... Uh. Ooh, damn. When reviewing his work records that he'd spotted the young person the same night that Mora disappeared. The responding officer and the bus driver drove around the area searching for Mora. Just before 8 p.m., EMS and a fire truck arrived to clear the scene. By 8.49 p.m., the car had been towed to a local garage. At about 9.30, the responding officer left. A rag believed to have been part of Mora's emergency roadside kit was discovered stuffed into the Saturn's muffler pipe. Mm. authorities would only refer to Mora as missing at 12 p.m. the next day, almost 24 hours after the last confirmed sighting of her. At 12.36 p.m. the following day, February 10th, a BOLO report was filed for, or was issued for Mora. She was reported as wearing a dark coat, jeans, and a black backpack. A voicemail was left on Fred Murray's home answering machine at 3.20, stating that her car had been found abandoned. He was working out of state and didn't receive the call. At 5 p.m., Mora's older sister contacted her father to tell him of the situation. He then contacted the Haverhill Police Department and was told that if Mora was not reported safe by the following morning, the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department would start a search. At 5.17 p.m., Mora was first referred to as missing by the Haverhill Police. On February 11th, Mora's father arrived before dawn at Haverhill. At 8 a.m., New Hampshire Fish and Game, the Murrays, and other and others began a search. A police dog tracked the scent from one of Mora's gloves 100 yards east from where the vehicle had been discovered, but lost the scent, suggesting to police that she'd left the area in a different car. At 5 p.m., Mora's boyfriend and his parents arrived in Haverhill. He was interrogated in private, but then was joined by his parents for questioning. At 7 p.m., the police said that they believed Mora came to the area to either run away or commit suicide, um, but her family believed it to be unlikely. Mm. Mora's boyfriend had turned off his cell phone during his flight to Haverhill. At some point, he received a voicemail that he believed was the sound of Mora sobbing. The call was traced to a calling card issued to the American Red Cross. What? Yeah. What? It's, I just don't understand any of it. On February 12th, Mora's father and her boyfriend held an evening press conference in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, and the next day, the first press coverage was published. At 3.05 p.m., the police reported Mora might be headed to the Kankamagus Highway area, and she was listed as endangered and possibly suicidal. The police report also stated that Mora was intoxicated at the crash site, although the bus driver said she did not appear impaired. The Haverhill police chief said that our concern is that she's upset or suicidal. Hmm. A week after her disappearance, her father and boyfriend were interviewed by CNN's American Morning. Uh, Mora's family expanded their search into Vermont, dismayed that the authorities there had not been informed of her disappearance. Although missing persons cases are normally handled by local and state police, the FBI joined the investigation 10 days after she disappeared. 
The FBI interviewed family from Massachusetts, and the Haverhill police chief announced that the search was now nationwide. Ten days after her disappearance, New Hampshire Fish and Game conducted a second ground and air search using a helicopter with a thermal imaging camera, tracking dogs, and cadaver dogs. Mora's older sister discovered a ripped white pair of women's underwear laying in the snow on a secluded trail near French Pond Road on February 26, but DNA tests found that the underwear didn't belong to Mora. At the end of, I want to know who's getting freaky out in the woods. I know. <laughs> At the end of February, the police returned the items found in Morris' car to her family. On March 2nd, the family checked out of their motel, exhausted from the search. Mm. Fred, there it is, Fred Mora. Fred Mora. <laughs> Fred Murray returned nearly every weekend to continue searching. In April, Haverhill police informed him of complaints of trespassing on private property. The March 20, the, oh. Yeah, we're in March. The March 2004 disappearance of Brianna Maitland on Montgomery, Vermont, in, Va- in Montgomery, Vermont, 66 miles away from Moore's last sighting in Woodsville, drew comparisons from media and law enforcement due to the similarities and disappearances. However, state police have stated that there's no links between the two cases. In April and again in June, New Hampshire and Vermont police dismissed any connection between Mora's case and Maitland's. In a press release, they stated they believed, quote, Mora was headed for an unknown destination and may have accepted a ride in order to continue to that location, adding that they had discovered no evidence that a crime had actually been committed. They dismissed the possibility of a serial killer being involved. On July 1st, police retrieved the items found in Mora's vehicle from her family for forensic analysis. On July 3rd, no, July 13th, a one-mile radius search was performed by nearly 100 searchers, including state troopers, rescue personnel, and volunteers. It was the fourth search around the crash area and the first search performed without snow on the ground. That's, I mean, that's just tough. Yeah. <clears throat> Authorities were most interested in locating the black backpack Mora had in, had in her possession but wasn't found in her car. Police stated the search discovered nothing conclusive. In late of 2004, a man allegedly gave Mora's father a rusty stained knife that belonged to the man's brother, who had a criminal past and lived less than a mile from where the car was discovered. His brother and his brother's girlfriend were said to have acted strangely after the disappearance, and the man's brother claimed he believed the knife had been used to kill Mora. Several days after the knife was given to Mora's father, the man's brother allegedly scrapped his Volvo. Family members of the man who turned in the knife claimed he had made up the story in order to obtain reward money in the investigation mm. and that he had a history of drug use. What a shitty thing. God, to do. Regardless I hate of that. whether or not you're a drug addict, that's just a shitty thing. It to is do. shitty. In 2005, Fred petitioned New Hampshire Governor Craig Benson for help in the search and appeared on the Montel Williams show in November of 2004 to, pub- to publicize the case. On February 9th of 2005, the one-year anniversary after Mora, of Mora's disappearance, a service was held where the car was found, and her father met briefly with the New Hampshire governor, John Lynch. Yes. There's two different governor names here, so I don't know which one's right, or if it was like a changeover between the two. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe that was a election year. Yeah. In late of 2005, Fred filed suit against several law enforcement agencies with aim of seeing files on the case. On November 1st of 2005, a user named Tom Davies logged into a message board called Not Without Peril, which was dedicated to the discussion of Mora's disappearance, and claimed to have seen a black backpack behind a restroom at a Pemijewasset Overlook. Fuck. (laughs) I'm never moving to the East Coast because I can't pronounce any of these words. Yeah. Around 30 miles from Woodsville. Mora had owned a black backpack, and Senior Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Strelzen 
stated that law enforcement was aware of the backpack but did not disclose whether or not it had been taken for forensic testing. The New Hampshire League of Investigators, <laughs> 10 retired police officers and detectives, and the Molly Bish Foundation started working on the case in 2006. Tom Shamshack, a former police chief and member of the Licensed Private Detectives Association of Massachusetts. Okay, Chief Shamshack? Yeah. Don't buy it. <laughs> uh, he said, quote, it appears that this is something beyond a mere missing person case. Something ominous could have happened here. The Arkansas group Let's Bring Them Home offered a $75,000 reward in 2007 for information that could solve her disappearance. In October of 2006, volunteers led a two-day search within a few miles of where her car was found in the closet of an A-frame house approximately a mile from the crash site. Cadaver dogs allegedly went bonkers possibly identifying the presence of human remains. The house, had, the house had formerly been the residence of the man implicated by his brother, who had given Fred Murray that rusty knife in 2004. A sample of carpet from the home was sent to the New Hampshire State Police, but results were never released to the public. In July of 2008, volunteers led another two-day search through the wooded areas in Haverhill. The group consisted of dog teams and licensed private investigators. This is a slip it off the chair. Moore's case was one of many cited by proponents of the statewide cold case unit for New Hampshire in 2009. Her case was subsequently added to the newly established cold case unit later that year. In 2010, Fred publicly criticized the police investigation for treating the disappearance as a missing person case and not a criminal matter and has called on the FBI to join the investigation. Jeffrey Strelzen said in February 2009 that the investigation is still active, quote, we don't know if Moore is a victim, but the state is treating it as a potential homicide. It may be a missing persons case, but it's being handled as a criminal investigation. In early of 2012, observers of the Mora case began taking note of a YouTuber of a YouTuber named Mr. 112 Dirtbag, mm. who posted a series of online videos that became that some believed contained cryptic clues to Mora's disappearance. Both Mora's family and professional criminologists dismissed the videos as cruel and as a cruel and hideous ploy for attention. Mm. In 2014, on the 10th anniversary of Moore's disappearance, Strelzen stated that, quote, we haven't had any credible sightings of Moore since the night she disappeared. In an article published in the New York Daily News on the 10th anniversary of his daughter's disappearance, it was reported that Fred believed she was dead and had been abducted, abducted the night of her disappearance. On February 9th of 2017, the 13th anniversary of her disappearance, Strelzen wrote in an email to the Boston Globe, quote, it's still an open case with periods of activity and at times it goes dormant. There are no new, no new updates to share at this time. In February of 2019, the 15th anniversary of her disappearance, Fred reiterated his belief that his daughter is dead as well as his, as well as his suspicions about the nearby house that the cadaver dogs responded to stating, quote, that's my daughter, I do believe. Oh, I hate, I hate that uh, so much. I just got chills. I know. In early April of 2019, excavation was done within the basement of the house near the crash site. Fred had previously wanted to search the home, but the owners didn't cooperate. Following the sale of the property, its new owners allowed several searches of the property since February of 2019. The excavation conducted in early April found absolutely nothing other than what appears to be a piece of pottery or old piping. Mora's disappearance has been cited as, quote, the first crime mystery of the social media age. Making mm. history. And generated speculation from the media and public, specifically on the internet and online forums and message boards. Writing for Boston Magazine in 2014, Bill Jensen noted, this is a quote, 
Now, at least online, it often seems that there's no such thing as a cold case, but when Maura Murray disappeared, the social web was in its infancy. There's no U- there was no YouTube and no Twitter. On the day Maura went missing, on the day Maura went missing, Facebook was five days old. And so you can read the history of her case as a parable about the evolution of online sleuthing. In 2005, active discussion of Mora's disappearance was documented on websleuths.com, and in 2007, Facebook and MySpace pages were created dedicated to helping find to helping find her. On the internet, Mora's disappearance is the perfect obsession, a puzzle of clues that offers a tantalizing illusion. If the right armchair detective connects the right dots, maybe the unsolvable can be solved. And so every day the case attracts new recruits, analyzing and dissecting and reconstructing the details of her story with a Warren Commission-like fervor. End quote. Fervor. In an episode of 2020... I mean, an episode of 2020 Fuck compared, yeah. <laughs> compared Morris' case to that of Brooke Wilberger, who went missing in Oregon a few months after her disappearance and was later found murdered. Morris referenced in two episodes on Disappeared in both Season 1, Episode 6, and Season 4, Episode 7. Morris' disappearance was the subject of the nonfiction thriller True Crime Addict, How I Lost Myself in the Mysterious Disappearance of Maura Murray. Maura Maura. <laughs> Maura Maura. By author and journalist James Runner, in which he proposed the theory that Maura traveled in traveled into New Hampshire with a tandem driver and may have disappeared willingly and started a new life elsewhere oh. or was murdered by someone she knew. Mora's father, Fred, and immediately an immediate family have disputed this theory. Fred states that he believes his daughter was abducted and is dead. Local podcast Crime Junkie did a two-part series on the case. And now this extra local podcast is doing a two. Damn. That's it. Extra local. Extra Super local. local. That one is so, like, What? It's like, like, why was that? What What about that phone call from the call? Who uses the calling card? Do you know what I mean? Like, why yeah. is everything so wild? Everything's just like so all over the place and yeah. confusing. It is. I like that one. I know I've heard it, you know, because it is one of those. Yeah. But mm. I also, there's like, there's nothing in there. I mean, obviously her father has his opinion. Which they obviously, her, her family obviously knows that her the best. Right. But, like, there's nothing in there that gives us anything to grasp on. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's nothing in there that's, like, you can form your opinion, like, oh, yeah, she ran away. Oh, yeah, she got abducted. Oh, yeah, she got murdered. Like, right. there's nothing in there that's, like, oh, yeah. It's just, like, I don't fucking know. I agree. Like, there's— It's like she— it, there's a lot that leads to she was planning on leaving, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot that, like, contradicts it. It's yeah. It's just like, does she just poof? And like, so many weird things. Like, yeah. it's just so much weirdness. Yeah. Very weird. Very mm. weird. Well, anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, I've been Snapchatting my son here, yeah. <clears throat> checking on him because it's their first day of summer break. And even though his 16-year-old sister is at home with him, he's 12, she 100% is asleep. Mm-hmm. She got up at 4 to come with me to do the morning show this morning. So she went home as soon as it was over. And she's like, I'm going to sleep with her sassy face. Yeah. He's fine. But he was like, are you doing the elevator game today? And I was like, Ivan. Ooh. I'm doing the elevator game. So I'm excited. And I don't really know how to pronounce this chick's name. I'm going to say Elisa. Okay. Um, I've heard it. I've watched many YouTube BuzzFeed conspiracy videos about it and kids playing the elevator game, and they all say her name something 
weird. So whatever. Okay. You say it however you want. I will. Thank you, Emily. Josephine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 21-year-old Elisa Lamb was last seen in the Cecil Hotel on January 31st, 2013. She was a college student at the University of Columbia. When she went missing, she had—was she at the University of Columbia? I guess. It doesn't sound right. When she went missing, she had been traveling alone. She'd visited the San Diego Zoo and took an Amtrak train from San Diego to Los Angeles. She spent two days in L.A. before checking into the Cecil Hotel. Okay, so the Cecil Hotel is like a character as well. Okay. The Cecil Hotel, now called Stay on Main, has an infamous history. Um, the Cecil was rebuilt in 1924 and like redesigned as a destination for business travelers and tourists. The hotel cost $1 million to complete. It had a marble lobby with stained glass windows, Ooh. potted palm trees, and alabaster statues. Wow. When what? I was looking up— Where is this again? I'm sorry. It's in Los Angeles. Okay. When okay. I was looking up, it said— Alabaster statuary. And I was like, what is statuary? Oh my gosh. Statues. More than one. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't they just say statues. Yeah. The plural of is the plural of statue statues or statuary? I think that's just like a term <gasps> that fancy people use. Well, I'm not and fancy. I'm not fancy. <laughs> With my I kicked my crocs off and was like, it stinks in here. So I'm not fancy. It's okay. Kicked my crocs off. Within five years of opening. Are you barefoot, too? Yeah. (laughs) That's why I needed this extra one, because I want to perch my little toes on the rung of this stool. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Where was I? My bad. Statues. Within five years of opening, the U.S. fell into the Great Depression. Surprise. Spoiler alert. Although the hotel was a popular destination through the 1940s. Later... Decades saw the hotel decline as the nearby area known as Skid Row became increasingly populated with homeless folk. Mm -hmm. As the area where the Cecil Hotel is located began to decline, suicides and other violent deaths on the premises became more frequent. The first documented suicide at the Cecil was reported in 1931 when a guest named W.K. Norton, totally a 1930s name, uh, died in his room after taking poison capsules. Oh, I want to die that way. I know. But I want it to be 1931 when I do it. Yeah. Uh, Throughout the 40s and 50s, more suicides at the Cecil occurred. By the 1960s, longtime residents of the hotel began to call it the suicide. Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like Ghost Hunters did a— I'm sure they have because it's got a history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In addition to suicides, the Cecil's history includes other kinds of violence— (laughs) <laughs> Ooh. In 1947, Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was rumored to have been spotted drinking at the Cecil's bar in the days before her notorious unsolved murder. Mm. In 1964, a retired telephone operator named Pigeon Goldie, Osgood, had been a well-known and well-liked long-term resident at the hotel and was found dead in her room, raped, stabbed, and beaten, and her room ransacked. Oh, my god! Her death remains unsolved. In the 80s, the hotel was rumored to be the residence of serial killer Richard Ramirez, nicknamed the Night Stalker. Mm. He had been a regular presence on the Skid Row area of Los Angeles, but is rumored to have stayed at the Cecil for a few weeks and may have engaged in part of his killing spree while staying there. Uh, And Austrian serial killer Jack Unterweger. 
Okay. Yeah. Stayed at the Cecil in 91, possibly as an homage. Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. To Ramirez. While there, he strangled and killed at least three prostitutes for which he was convicted in Austria. I didn't understand that, and I didn't really look it up much. Um, Why was he convicted in Austria? I don't know. Right? If he did it at the Cecil in Los Angeles. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know how that works. He hanged himself shortly after his conviction. So, there you go. That's the Cecil. When Elisa Lamb checked into the Cecil, she was initially assigned to a hostel-style shared room on the hotel's fifth floor, but her roommates complained about what the hotel's lawyer would later describe as certain odd behavior, and she was moved to a room of her own after two days. Um, They don't really say what she was doing. Like, I've looked. She was odd. Elisa had recently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which can cause people to feel depressed and can also cause episodes of psychosis. She had been prescribed four medications, Wellbutrin, Lamictal, Seroquel, and Effexor, which they all sound familiar, but I don't know what anything does. Wellbutrin and Effexor are the ones that I recognize. Seroquel sounds like a drug that puts you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It must be. I bet it's like a sleeping pill type of yeah. thing. According to her family, who supposedly kept her history of mental illness a secret, um, she had no history of suicidal ideations or attempts, although one report claims she had previously gone missing for a brief period. Ooh. Elisa contacted her parents in British Columbia every day while traveling. On January 31st, 2013, the day she was scheduled to check out of the Cecil and leave for Santa Cruz, they did not hear from her and called the Los Angeles police. Her family flew to L.A. to help with the search. Hotel staff who saw her that day said she was alone. Outside the hotel, Katie Orphan, manager of a nearby bookstore, was the only person who recalled seeing Elisa that day. She said that she was, quote, outgoing, very lively, very friendly. And that she was there getting gifts to take home to her family and, like, talking about little things and whatnot. Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't know why I'm so out of breath. Okay. Because it's been a long time since we've done this. Yeah, I feel like my glasses are pinching my nose shut. <laughs> <laughs> Police searched the hotel to the extent that they legally could. They searched Elisa's room and had dogs go through the building's hallways, uh, also the rooftop, but... Um, the dogs were unsuccessful in detecting her scent, and police did not search every room. They could only do that if they had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed in each room. So they couldn't go in to the rooms. That's weird. Well, I the Cecil doesn't seem like a days in type. Yeah. So I long-term residents live there. Like, there's people that have lived there for decades. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Like, you're just living your life at this hotel and someone yeah. goes missing. You don't— I guess it is—since they do have long-term residents, I guess it is kind of like a yeah. apartment, more of an apartment situation where you can't you can't go yeah. unless you have a warrant. And you can't get a warrant without probable cause. So, I guess it right. makes sense. Yeah. It's just weird, though. Cause it is weird. Because it's a hotel. Because it's a hotel and someone's missing. On February 6th, a week after Elisa had been seen, the LAPD decided more help was needed. Huh. Flyers with her image were posted online and in and around the neighborhood. It brought the case to the public's attention through media, obviously. So on February 15th, another week after, with no sign of her, the LAPD released a video of the last known sighting of her taken in one of the Cecil's elevators. 
on February 1st. Okay. This is the video that brings everyone's attention to it, like worldwide attention to the case. Mm -hmm. In the clip, the camera at one of the elevator cab's rear corners looks down from the ceiling, offering a view of um, the inside of the elevator, but also part of the hallway outside. Mm -hmm. It's somewhat grainy. The timestamp at the bottom is obscured. And at some point, like, it's not a bad, like, view or whatever, but you know how, like, it gets pixelated when, like, her mouth area gets pixelated, but that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, I get talking and wave my hand around and lose my spot. Okay. Uh, It's not great quality, like I said, but you can definitely see everyone and everything going on in the elevator. At the start, Elisa enters wearing a red zip-up hoodie and a gray t-shirt with black shorts and sandals. She enters from the left and goes to the control panel, and it looks like she presses, like, five or six buttons. Hmm. Yeah, five or six floors. And she does it real quick. She doesn't, like, slide her hand down, but she's like, doot, 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 just pushing buttons. Weird. Um, then she steps back to the corner, like, hmm. and it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go stand over here. She, like, pushes those buttons and then, like, turns her back to the wall kind of quick. Hmm. After a few seconds, during which the door does not close, she steps up to it and leans forward so that, like, she's looking out into the hallway, looks in both directions, and then quickly steps back in, backing up into the wall again and then into the corner near the control panel. The door remains open. So she's like, it looks like she's hiding because you know how the control panel is right by the front the front of the door. Mm-hmm. So she sticks her head out, looks back and forth down the hallway, and then pops back in, sticks her back kind of like to the control panel like she's hiding right like, inside the doors. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the door remains open. She walks to it again and stands in the doorway, leaning on the side. Suddenly she steps out into the hall, then to her side, back in, looking to the side, then back out. So she goes in and out a few times. Um then she steps sideways again, and for a few seconds, she is mostly invisible behind the wall that she has her back to just outside. The door stays open the whole time. That's weird. <laughs> I know. Her right arm can be seen going up to her head. Like, she's just kind of being strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she turns, goes back in the cab, putting both hands on the side of the door, goes to the control panel, panel presses many more buttons, some more than once, and then returns to the wall. Um, putting both hands over her ears again briefly as she walks back to the section of the wall she had been standing against before, the door remains open. Uh, hold on. She turns to her right, rubs her forearms together, waves her hands out to her sides with palms like, ah, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but she doesn't make that noise. (laughs) Uh, she bows forward slightly and is like rocking back and forth gently this can all be seen through the door of the elevator, which has stayed open the whole time. After she backs to the wall again and walks away to the left, it finally closes. Okay, so I don't know if I put this in here, but some people—yeah, I did. Okay, I'll, several theories evolved to explain her actions. One was that Elisa was trying to get the elevator car to move in order to escape someone chasing her. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like she's looking for someone. Others suggest— that she might be under the influence of, like, ecstasy or another party drug. And when her bipolar disorder became known, um, they also thought that maybe it was a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. Other viewers of the video argued that the video had definitely been tampered with before being made public. The timestamp was obscured, 
But despite that, they claim that parts of the video had been slowed down. Nearly a minute of footage had been discreetly removed. This could have been done simply to protect the identity of someone who would, like, be in the video but doesn't have anything to do with the case or to conceal evidence of Elisa's disappearance and death had been the result of a criminal act. Mm. So I don't know why they would take that part out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, here it is. Some people believe something paranormal took place Woo-hoo. that led to her death or disappear- death slash disappearance. One theory is Elisa is in the elevator for a long time and the elevator door just won't close. Some believe it's because she wa- she had actually died earlier. And the woman in the video is actually her ghost. That's why the door won't react to her. Some people believe that. Do you believe that? No. Okay, just checking. <laughs> um, that the elevator does not recognize her presence due to her being a ghost. So that's my number one theory. I feel it like it is hypersensitive to her presence. The elevator? Yeah. Yeah. Because the doors are staying like, open. Yeah. It's like, mm, nope. Somebody's, Someone's in here. You're, you're too close. You keep getting close to the door. You're too close. I'm going to smash you. Yeah. So back up. Okay. Another popular theory is that Elisa was playing the elevator game. The elevator game is a game from South Korea that involves getting into an elevator and pushing the buttons in a particular order. If you successfully complete the steps in the correct order, when you exit the elevator, you'll find yourself alone in another dimension. Okay. So this is what brought up the story. I was on Reddit. Okay. (laughs) Of course I was. (laughs) And uh, this woman, it was like one of those Ask Reddits, and it was like, what ha- What did you realize afterwards something was going on and you wish you had, like, known at the time that's what was going on? Mm-hmm. And this woman said, I'm like a young, like, mid-20s, thin Asian woman, and I got in an elevator real late one night, and there were a couple of, like, 12-year-old boys in there. And she was like, they look scared to death, and it wasn't until I got back to my hotel room that I realized they were probably playing the elevator game. And I just freaked them the fuck out. And she's like, if I had known, I would have definitely freaked them the fuck out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, what's the elevator game? And here I am today. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) And here we are. Okay, so here's how you play the elevator game if you want to try to go to a different dimension. Find a building with an elevator that has at least 10 floors. At least 10? Yeah. Get in alone and ride it to each floor in this sequence. Floor one, four, two, six... Three, no. One, four, two, six, two, ten, five, one. Those are the floors you have to go to in that order. Instead of going to one at the end, you'll automatically begin going up to floor ten. This is how you know it's working. Okay. You During this time, you must ignore anyone who gets into the elevator with you, especially on the fifth floor, as there is an otherworldly being no. in the guise of a girl stop who will try her best to eternally lure you from your dimension to so get back repeat the process and you'll be taken back to reality on the first floor you want to do it no we'll do it for your for your youtube channel i don't like it it <laughs> scares me so do you think that's what happened to her playing the elevator game she I pushed think, a bunch of buttons. I think she was playing the elevator game, yes. Do mm-hmm. I think any dimensional thing-wise happened? Probably not. That lady on the fifth floor got her. Maybe. Anyway, on the morning of February 19th, Elisa Lamb's body was found in one of four 1,000-gallon water tanks that provide water to guest rooms, a kitchen, and a coffee shop nearby. The tanks were searched after guests at the hotel 
No. Began complaining about low water pressure. Some claimed their water was black and had an unusual taste. (laughs) (laughs) Get it. On February 21st, the L.A. coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor. Mm -hmm. The full coroner's report stated that Elisa's body had been found naked and clothing similar to what she was wearing in the elevator video was floating in the water, coated with sand-like particles. Her watch and room key were also found with her. Elisa's body was moderately decomposed and bloated, like, you know, the right amount of bloating Mm -hmm. for that time. There was no evidence of physical trauma, sexual assault, or suicide. Toxicology tests incomplete because not enough of her blood was preserved. Okay. Yeah. Showed traces consistent with prescription medication found among her belongings, plus uh, non-prescription like Sinutab and ibuprofen. A very small quantity of alcohol. Um, it said about 0.02% and 0.08 is the legal limit. So she was way under. Like, yeah, I feel like it like, could be like mouthwash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no other recreational drugs. Okay. The investigation had determined how Elisa died but did not offer an explanation as to how she got into the tank in the first place. Doors and stair access to the hotel roof are locked with only hotel staff having the passcodes and keys, and any attempt to force them would supposedly have triggered an alarm. Unless you were in a different dimension. Stop. However, (laughs) (laughs) oh, the hotel's fire escape could have allowed her to bypass those security measures. So if she took the fire escape, she would have made it. If she or someone, I mean, it's pretty high up there However, to be doing the fire escape. This plausible, <laughs> plausible reason could have actually. <laughs> but the fire escape at the top of that hotel. Yeah, that is very. Yeah. Tall. How in, how many and stories it's in the is middle it? of the night? At least ten. Right. Let's look. I, yeah, I mean, it's at least ten. Yeah. So ten stories high. If the people are applying the. How tall is the Cecil Hotel? It is nineteen floors. Jeez. So. Yeah. <clears throat> she had to really be determined. Okay, hold on. Uh, apart from the question of how she got on the roof, others asked if she could have gotten into the tank by herself. All four tanks are four by eight foot cylinders propped up on concrete blocks without permanent access to them, and hotel workers had to use a ladder to reach the door and look in at the water. Mm-hmm. They are protected by heavy lids that would be difficult to, like, close from within. Okay. And police dogs that searched through the hotel for her, even on the roof, shortly after her disappearance, did not find any trace of her. But they did not search right near the water tanks. Right. Um, Since her death, her Tumblr blog was updated, presumably through Tumblr's Q option, which allows posts automatically. Mm -hmm. Her phone was not found either with her body or in her hotel room. It's assumed to have been stolen at some time around her death. Whether the continued updates to her blog were done... By the theft of her phone or through the queue. And it also says, or the work of a hacker. It's not known. <laughs> hacker. Anytime I hear hacker, I think of the little girl in Jurassic Park. Yeah. I'm not a computer nerd. I am a hacker. That's my cousin's <laughs> last name. Hacker? Mm-hmm. Gosh. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> we also don't know whether the updates were related to her death or not. Like, it doesn't say. Okay. I guess the updates weren't public. Okay. Okay. In September of whatever year that was, Elisa Lamb's parents filed a wrongful death suit claiming the hotel hotel <laughs> failed that hotel. 
failed to inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to Elisa, Elisa and other hotel guests and seeking unspecified damages and burial costs. The hotel argued it could not have reasonably foreseen that Elisa might have entered the water tanks and that since it remained unknown how Elisa got into them, no liability could be assigned for failing to prevent it. And in 2015, the suit was dismissed. <sighs> Sorry. The circumstances of Elisa's death have been compared to plot elements in the 2005, eight years prior to her death, horror film Dark Water, and that film an American remake of an earlier Japanese film of the same name. A mother and daughter move into a rundown apartment building in a dysfunctional elevator and discolored water gushing from the building's faucets eventually lead them to the building's rooftop water tank where they discover the body of a girl who had been reported missing from the building a year earlier. Mm. And may, yeah, that happened. A year old. Mm. And that, that whole storyline is like from before she died. So that's totally weird. Yeah, how, that's not. Yeah. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> In May 2013, the episode Watershed aired as that year's season finale of the ABC series Castle. And that episode, the castle folk, I don't know, <laughs> pursue leads in the death of a young woman found dead in a rooftop water tank of the, quote, Cedric Hotel in Manhattan. Mm. Among the evidence is a surveillance video of the woman taken in an elevator. Another ABC series, How to Get Away with Murder, had a similar storyline. Mm-hmm. Over a series of flashbacks spread out across the first season, which began airing in 2014, it is revealed that a sorority girl missing at the start of the season was murdered and that her body was hidden in the water tank on the roof of the sorority house. Did you watch that? Yeah. Similarly, <laughs> her body is only discovered when a maintenance worker is called to the house to address the water pressure issue. Blech. In 2014, horror thriller Hungry Ghost Ritual includes a scene in which a ghost terrorizes a young woman in an elevator— Shot to look like the security cam footage and believed to have been inspired by Elisa's video footage. I feel like that's really disrespectful. A little bit. And the Cecil Hotel was also the inspiration for American Horror Story Season 5, Hotel, which was nominated for eight Emmy Awards, and Lady Gaga took home the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, Miniseries, or Television Film in 2015. Of course she did. It was so good. That season was so good. I... Watched the first season of American Horror Story. That was a good one. And then was like, I'm going to watch the rest of them. And I haven't watched the rest of them yet. Skip season two and go to season what three. What one's season two? It's uh, Asylum. That's just the one I can never get into for some reason. I don't, I don't know. remember which one. But yeah, it's on my Netflix list. Do it. Okay. <laughs> Elisa Lamb's accidental drowning death is still widely speculated in, in pop culture I mean, my kids requested me do this spooky story. So yeah. there you go. That's weird. Unsolved mystery. Like, ha part of me wants to try it. I want to try it. Because, like, what it. if it is real? Yeah. But the other half of me is way too scared. Because <laughs> what if it's real? Because what if it's real? And, like, what if I get trapped? In another dimension. In another dimension. Without or, like, me. what if that lady in the fifth floor gets me? Well, she's got a Lisa, so you'll have someone to hang out with. <sighs> So that's a—you've seen the video. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, everybody Not, has. I'm going to go watch it anyway. We're going to—I'm going to make you watch it. I'm going to make you watch it. Are you pulling it up? Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's watch it together. Oh, I don't like it. You do. <laughs> I think I have seen this. Yeah, like know, everyone's seen it. it. I'm just going to— So she's normal, and then she's like, oh, see? 
That makes me scared when she does that. And she just keeps, see? She's like hiding in that elevator. And doesn't it kind of look like they pixelated her mouth because she was saying something and they don't want people to see what it was? Go back to it because I wasn't paying attention to her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Did I not push play? Oh, yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. It almost... It almost doesn't, I don't know if it looks like it did it on purpose, but the line across the whole thing, it almost just looks like it. Mm-hmm. Like, she uh, she gets completely out of the elevator. And she, like, jumped. Yeah. And do you see her? She's being so... Yeah. Like, that's weird. Yeah. And it doesn't look like she's psychotic at all or having an episode. She no. looks scared. Yeah. Like, someone is kind of, like, telling her to get in the elevator there. Do you know what I mean? Or... Yeah. Like, she's out of that elevator for a second, and the doors are just open. Open. Waiting. I won't make you watch the whole thing. No, it's okay. It's You want to sit? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> it's creepy, man. I'll just cut out all the dead silence here. Yeah. See? Then it looked she like doing? she walked in like she was drunk. You yeah. Know? And then she's pushing a whole bunch more buttons. What's she doing? She is, she likes, is pushing a whole bunch, but it looked like she's doing it at the same time. Now mm-hmm. she's stepping out. Ugh, and she's so close to the doors. It's, like, it's almost like she's hiding from someone... Oh, that's the scary part where she reaches in and it's like feeling around inside the elevator. It looked like she's she's like explaining. Yeah. Like she's talking to someone outside the elevator that you can't see. Yeah. Like someone from the other dimension on the fifth floor that's trying to entice what is her to that? stay. What? what? What was that whole thing? It looked like she was doing sign language, but she was doing the same thing over and over again. This? Oh. No, hold on. Right here. Oh. See, it looks like she's yeah. doing sign language, but she's doing like she keeps repeating it three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like she's like talking to someone who's like here, mm-hmm. and like she's where'd she go? What? What? I know. Like I've watched this with my kids a whole bunch, and it creeps me out every single time. Does she come back? No, the door shut, and then it opens, and then it opens, and then is it going oh, down it's, floors? It's closing so slowly. That's the same floor. That's a different floor. It's fucking creepy is what it is. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that shut's real slow. Yeah. Real creepy slow. Hold on. Don't stop it yet. No, I want to <laughs> see all of it. I just want to finish see. this. Yeah. <sighs> Don't you expect different... something? That's a different floor. Don't yeah. you expect something every time the yeah. door opens? Okay, so it's just going on the floors now, I guess, that she pushed. I guess. That's. Did you hate it? Yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, that's why I needed to do that one. I don't like it. Yeah. The kids were really into it, so. I'm tired. It was a long, we've recorded a long time today. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah, thanks for hanging out Fuck. with me today. Oh, good Lord. I'm telling you what. It's a rough life. It is a rough life. Why, why, why do I get harassed? Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. If you have any suggestions, let us know. Off air with everywhere. Oh, my gosh. And this was a good one. We talked forever. This was a really good one. We needed it. Yeah, seriously. Um, so yeah, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, maybe. Hopefully, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>